everyone. Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, we're talking to co-authors and best friends, Shantara McBride and Rosalind Weissman, about their new book, Courageous Discomfort, How to Have Important, Brave, Life-Changing Conversations About Race and Racism. And let me tell you, it is really like rising to the top as one of our very favorite interviews. Let me tell you about their book, which is fantastic and you should get it. In their book, Shantara, who is black, and Rosalind, who is white, discuss their own friendship and tap into their decades of anti-racism work to answer uncomfortable questions many of us struggle to answer in regards to race and equity. I want to say, I hope you all stay with this interview because just the interview before the next step for me was transformative. They are, their book, if it gets in the hands of schools around the country, it will change a whole generation of kids. It is so about dignity and seeing people as human. Again, you know, like just having these tough conversations, even when they go badly. Like, why is that so scary to us? We'd rather not have the conversation than have it and have someone say, that wasn't the best way to say it. We can toughen up with that. Yeah, and more than one conversation. We talk about this with our kids all the time, right? It's not one conversation. You can go back to it. You can go, just like we always say, like, we'll go back to a kid and be like, okay, that conversation we had the other night, like, can we go back to that? I didn't like the way I acted in that, or I didn't like my response, or I, which I love those moments. You know, I love the go backs and where you get to apologize because it's just, which happens all the time. So it's like, keep getting this pass. You know, it is a very forgiving adventure being a parent. Yeah, but I also, like, I I feel very much like doing your teen has put me in a place where I've gotten comfortable with doing it. I'm not sure if being, like, I can say I'm sorry in a way that's genuine. Even if I did nothing wrong, I can say that to my kids. I think that's from listening to so many experts tell us it's forgiving. Like, our kids are so forgiving. And and as you said, there's nothing better than having some space and time and then going back and saying, hey, sorry about that. All right, so up next is our conversation with Shantara McBride and Rosalind Weissman. We can't wait for you to join us. Hi, this is Kim Thompson, host of Storytime Anytime a podcast packed with songs, stories, and a whole lot of learning fun. Each episode will explore a new topic like dinosaurs, sharks, space travel, chemistry, horses, reptiles, and so much more. New episodes are out every other week, so check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. It's really story time and music at its best, exclusively for kids. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. 
I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Our guests today are Shantara McBride and Rosalind Weissman, co-authors of Courageous Discomfort, How to Have Important, Brave, Life-Changing Conversations About Race and Racism. If you're someone who wants to have better, more productive discussions, their book is an empowering handbook that teaches you how to do just that. Shantara and Rosalind, thank you so much for being here. So how did you two make your way to these conversations and this book? Well... (laughs) We've always had the conversations. I think that's the beauty of our friendship is that we've always been able to talk about the hard stuff happening in the world. And so with this book, it was one of those natural things that we were already doing. And so I remember texting Ross a lot when I was receiving messages and text messages from well-intentioned white people saying, you know, can I buy you dinner? Should I send you flowers? And, you know, wanting to say yes, but knew that wasn't the answer that they were looking for. And so I would just text Ross and say, you wouldn't believe what someone who looks like you just said to me. And so (laughs) (laughs) we had one of those conversations today. It was just, it was actually, it was a little backwards. It was me saying to her, Uh, Somebody said something to me about race that I cannot believe they said. And so, yes, we have those kind of conversations all the time. They do not stop. I want to get in your group. I just had one with my mailman, and I'm desperate to talk about it. (laughs) Let's go. I know I didn't handle it well, but I... Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you the story, and you're going to tell me what I should have done. Okay. So after listening to my mail delivery guy tell me about how troubled his kid is. Like diagnoses, crises, failure to launch, like really describing a kid that could find themselves in trouble, right? He goes on to tell me that he worked at Amazon and it was a great job until a black woman accused him. And I just, I stopped. I said, I I don't know where you're going, but I don't know why black is relevant here. And I just said, I gotta go. Mm -hmm. What should I have done? What should I have done? I'm I'm obsessing about this. Well, I have some questions. I'm so yeah. curious. I want to know the rest of the story. I left it hanging there. Okay, like, so how well, here's my, so, okay, watch out, because Shantara and I are probably going to start asking you a lot of questions, so you can slow us down. What has your relationship been and your interaction been before this day? He talks he's my ear off if he sees me. He's a yacker. Oh, he's a yacker, okay. Yeah, yeah. When you see him tomorrow, because you will, or the next day or whatever. So the next time you see him, I think it's important to say, you know what, I'm so sorry. I cut you off with the story at Amazon with your son. I'm so, I want to know the rest. I cut you off, my bad. What's the rest of the story? And just let him go. Let him, because we we don't know what the rest is. And then when you hear the rest, the woman's race may have nothing to do with it. 
But hearing the rest gives you more information as to why her race was brought up in the first place. But just just apologize. Just say, you know what? I think so, too. And I and Sue, I would also ask the question of later. Damn, I, mean, I thought you were going to applaud me. It's so annoying to get everything wrong. <laughs> I so, so annoying. Well, I was thinking... I was thinking how gracious your answer was, Shantira. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Okay, now my therapy is officially over. Let's get to the questions. Okay. Let's talk about these conversations in general. I want to engage in these conversations, but I often get it wrong. And I want to know how to get it right. So let's start with some suggestions for entering into these conversations. Maybe not Sue's mailman conversation. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Well, maybe. Maybe that's not the worst jumping off point. Look, I don't think so. Sue, I think thank you for, but here's what I I will applaud you for, which is that you brought it up and that you're talking to us about it. And I think that's really important. And, And I think also, Stephanie, I think the thing of why it's a good jumping off point is because I think it reflects that we can get into, we can be going about our day, not planning on having these kinds of intense moments. And then we're there. And what do we do when we have those moments? You know, we're going to have moments where we need to do do-overs because what happens, Sue, and I will use your example because it's a really, it's one that we, I think we can all relate to, is that you had a moment where you got emotionally hijacked, where you didn't want to hear whatever was going to happen. Whatever was going to come out of his mouth, you didn't want to hear it. And that is a reasonable, it's understandable to have those kinds of moments, but it's also the moments where we stop talking to each other. So you now have an opportunity to prepare, as Shantara is saying, like, well, how do I want to be in the world? Like, there is this person who likes to talk to me. Maybe you need to put some boundaries up about that. But like, there's a person who wants to talk to me. And he said something. And and being Black as part of the, you know, a part of the story could have been part of what he was talking about. And I need to be prepared when he says that. And then, and and be able to ask what Shantara and I would call curious questions about not non-curious questions. Curious questions are you really actually want to know the answer, and you can tell that, or the other person can tell that by the tone of your voice, and you really want to understand the story better, just like what Shantara said. But it's these kinds of moments, for understandable reasons, that we can ask non-curious questions. Questions like, why would you say something like that? But the tone is actually saying, I don't want to hear the answer. And so that's why it's actually definitely a really good jumping off point for what we're talking about today, because we all have these moments and we're all going to have moments of doing better. Always. All of us, Shantara and me included. What's so apparent is how hard this, these conversations can be and unpredictable in our reactions, unpredictable when we're having a conversation that seems benign and it comes up. What if we don't have a Rosalind or Shantara? <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> how, how are you even living? Uh, All right. So, Rosalind, you've built a platform around dignity, cultures of dignity. Does dignity alone help with these tough conversations? I think dignity gives us a foundation to from which everything else comes from. And it's just such an incredibly powerful grounding. It gives us capacity and confidence. You know, it's so easy to feel really like the, like, you know, your heart starts to race and your stomach starts to clench. And not that those things won't really happen, that they don't happen, but there's just this thing underneath you that, that just settles you. And so knowing, and what that is, is knowing that dignity is the essential worth of every human being. 
and that that's a given. It can't be taken away. And people can try and take it away from you, but you can it cannot be taken away. And when we separate that from the word respect, that respect is about earning the respect because of how you act, but that you don't have to respect someone's actions if they are trying to take away the dignity of other people, then it gives you this freedom of being able to treat that person with dignity. You don't have to show that person respect, but you do need to treat them with dignity. So it gives you a way to be present in difficult relationships in a way that does not have to do or gets you out of the power dynamic that so often respect is really about. How would you talk to your teens about that? How would you how would you explain? What would that conversation sound like? It's hard. <laughs> and so I think saying that to saying that to young people and saying that to adults, admitting it's hard. It is an intentional way of treating somebody. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's not something that you wake up and like, oh, I want to treat everybody with dignity. No, it is hard. And I think young people look at us crazy because we act like, of course, of course, everyone should be treated with dignity. And we act like it's the easiest thing in the world. And so what they need to hear is, no, no, this is hard. This is very difficult. And I'm making an intentional effort, even when someone is actively trying to take away my dignity, even when someone is actively trying to not treat me with dignity, I am going to still. And it sounds so weak. And young people don't like that. It sounds like we're a pushover or like they're, you know, and I'm, it's, it's the Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high thing. And we're just like, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds weak and young people don't like that. And so the but the thing is it's not it's not weak. It actually takes more strength to be intentional about how I want to treat somebody else. It's actually it makes me I agree with right? that. Yeah. It makes me strong. It's very be- yes. very beautiful. It's the truth. Yeah, it's ve- that's really very beautiful. <laughs> okay, so now I'm I want to get back to a little bit of of what you two wrote in the book and what you two do with each other and what we get, what we do when we get it wrong. So when there's a tragedy, for example, in the Black community, what do we get wrong and what is a better response? Like if if love feels to us like we need to respond, Mm -hmm. we need to reach out to the people who were impacted by what just happened. We, of course, our mission is to get it right. But it does sound like we often get it wrong. So I will say this. Asking someone, should you buy their family dinner or send flowers? And we talk about this in the book. It doesn't meet the need that you're actually trying to meet. And so when I think about grief, right, and I think about being in a house and you go to the house and you leave that you hope there's a basket outside the door where you can leave the casserole because you really don't want to come in, you're like, Please let there be a basket so I can just drop this off, check the box, get back in my car and keep driving on because I don't want to come in. But if there's not a basket and I got to ring the doorbell, I'm hoping that the person who is actually in pain does not answer the door. I'm hoping that it's a friend, a cousin or somebody I don't know as they say, here, I want to give you this casserole. And if that person says, hey, do you want to come in? No, no, I don't want to disturb. I just wanted to drop off this casserole. Again, check the box, get in the car, drive off. What we're asking people and what we, what I feel like 
particularly white people want to do, they want to drop off the casserole. They really don't want to come in. And what we're asking is for people to come in, sit in the discomfort. We know what that feels like when somebody is grieving. We know we want to drop off a casserole. And the same thing that happens, especially when there's this public display of tragedy that happens to a community. Come in the house and sit in the grief. And we know we don't have to say the right thing because there is no right thing, right? You know, We know this. When somebody is grieving and just had, we, we just experienced a horrible loss, there is nothing you can say that is going to make that person feel better, right? We know this. It's the same thing that happens when a tragedy on a public level, there is nothing a white person can say that is going to make this feel better. Nothing, nothing, unless they say, <laughs> it was wrong, it was horrible, and this must stop, and here's what I'm going to do to make sure it stops. That's it, that's all. That's it, but, but these displays of, I want to do something usually means, can I send your family dinner? Can I buy you flowers so I can check the box? That is profound. I'm feeling myself in that story of checking off the box, but I also don't know what it looks like to go into the house in these circumstances. Like, are you saying literally show up? Is it a text that says thinking of you? Like, what what does that look like? Yeah, I think the thinking of you is is cute. It's nice. But then it's, okay, I'm thinking of you. This is happening too much. I don't have to tell you everything I'm doing because who really, it's just like with grief. No one wants to read all that, right? But it's, these are the things that I can do. Whether And I've heard other people talk about whether that is, you know, going to a, a city council meeting, going to a board meeting, making my voice be heard, writing a letter to my school board, writing a letter to my council, like, and and the, the person in pain doesn't even need to know a lot, all of it. You can go to a PTA meeting or you can list, watch and read the things that people are saying on your P, in your PTA Facebook and, it, you know, group. And if they, if somebody starts talking about, like, you know, disparaging Black Lives Matter or just going up again, not allowing for schools to be able to actually acknowledge the presence of racism in the history of our country, that you can't, without going into like lots of articles and proving they're wrong and all that stuff, say, you know, it's really important to me that every child and every family feels seen in our community. And, her. and I'm concerned that if our history is not included, if people's history is not included, then th we miss that. And how can we be a community if we don't acknowledge each other? I think we need to just really go to the, like what Chantara is saying about, like, go to where you are present, where you can be present pretty easily, which is PTA meetings and Facebook groups. I love this idea of what, of what we can do. Can we talk about what we shouldn't do? Some absolute no's for white people. One of the things you should not do when you are interacting with somebody that is in the dominant race or somebody who is saying things that you are posting things that you think are, are offensive, racist, discriminatory, prejudiced, whatever. What are the things that we don't want you to do? What we don't want you to do is to send them all of the facts that you think are going to prove that they are wrong. 
And we don't want you to post that on social media because that does not work. And do not text them without being invited about the information that you're going to send. Do not do that. It doesn't work. It only aggravates the people. Just think about when people do it to you. You don't open those links. You don't look at it and you feel aggravated too. So don't do it. And then the other part is, is that, you know, we have Thanksgiving right around the corner. And if this person walks into the room, into the home, and you are like ready to go, or you are worried that you're going to be a bad role model for your children. If they say something racist, you don't say anything. Here's what we do not want you to do. We do not want you to sabotage the person who's been working so hard to make Thanksgiving dinner or any kind of holiday dinner or any dinner for that matter. We do not want you sabotaging the efforts that this person has made to ruin the mo- like this family, this family experience. We don't want you to do that. What we want you to do is if the person is pushing at you or saying little things like little digs, and by the way, I should back up a second and say, you have to be mindful that you don't do that yourself because I certainly have done that in my own life, that you gotta be mindful of the things you're saying, which is why dignity again is so helpful. But if they are pushing at you and digging at you, then what I would suggest we would like for you to do is to say to that person, clearly, this is really, really important to you, what you're talking about or these comments you're making to me, but we're not going to do this at the table because, you know, this person has worked so hard to put our dinner together tonight. So when would you like to have this conversation? We could have it after dinner. We could have it tomorrow. We can have it. We can, you know, set up a time to talk about it, but we're not going to do it right now. So when we, so let's find out like after dinner, let's figure out a time that we can talk about it. Cause these issues are really important to me as they are to you. And that is it. You are role modeling for your children that you're an ethical leader They know what you stand for. And you also are showing them how you handle with capacity and grace and strength how to handle somebody who might be trying to bully you or or undermine you or ridicule the issues that you think are really important. And you are showing respect to the efforts of the person that brought you all together. Shantara? (sighs) Some of the biggest issues is wanting wanting to get affirmation or acknowledgement that you're doing the right thing. One of the things that I've noticed a lot is when something happens in our community, in our world, um, on the news, the first thing is, is, is the first thing we do is think of the person who looks like them and send them a text message. It's like, oh my gosh, I just saw what somebody just did and it really bothers me. Are you okay? Because the answer is maybe or no or what you're talking about. So it's this assumption that the person of color is watching the same thing you're watching or the assumption that the person of color is ready to be in that space. And I think a lot of the times as a black person living in America is so exhausting seeing the tragedies that happen every single moment in our lives on blast, on social media, on the news, uh, you know, and it's just like white people expect us to be sad at that moment, respond to their request at that moment or or something. And there's this mental gymnastics in our heads that if we don't respond at the same time that we receive the text message, or if we don't respond in this way of, of, of sadness and grief that the white person is coming to us with, then we're doing something wrong or that the white person will not continue the fight. You know, so they're this mental gymnastics that we then have to take care of whoever sent us, us the message. And so it's that expectation of not having the expectation 
for the person of color, for the black person, the indigenous person that you are reaching out to at that moment. Because there's always this this idea of, oh no, they sad, so I got to meet them in their sadness. Or what I really want to say is, welcome to the party. So you're just now... <laughs> You're just now paying attention to what is going on. So one of the things is is not not assuming that the person is in the same space you are. The other part is that I think we get wrong sometimes is wanting the applause or the affirmation that we've done the right thing. Right. And so it's like, well, I just want you to know that I just wrote a letter to my congressman. I just want you to know that that I voted today for such and such. I just want you to know that I thought of you and I was in the grocery store and I saw this person. There will be no applause that we we won't pause and say, oh, that was such a great job. Right. Like that. And so I but I, I understand wanting to feel like, am I doing the right thing? But it's seeking the applause and the affirmation from the group that's 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 marginalized, that's hurting. You know, the other part that I think we can all do better about is is looking at when we are, especially when we're on social media and we see these trends that is telling us that we have to do these things and this will prove that we are nice people or this will prove that we're not racist or this will prove. no. Mm-mm. If <laughs> because I, I and and I don't participate in any of those. Those trends are not real. Those polls are not real. I know somebody somewhere made them up, and they're to prove that. And I think about the 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 black square on Instagram. And I finally, Ross, I finally did find out who started it, and it was for the the theater community, right? But a lot of white people participate in that to prove that they were they weren't anti-racist and i think a lot of times when we when it comes to these social media trends we don't look for the beginning we don't see why it happened we just follow along to prove that we are good people and i think a lot of the times we have to one do some research on our own not ask the person the black person the indigenous person the person of color to do the research for you but we have to do the research to find out where did this begin and will this actually be helpful if I do the same thing? And a lot of the times the answer is, uh-uh. Okay, so Shantara, I want to, first of all, everything you guys said, it's just, it's so, we're so grateful to hear it. So for Thanksgiving, Rosalind, it sounds like your culture of dignity transcends everything all the time. So when you spoke, I got a little teary thinking about how there are other people impacted by your battle that you bring to the table. And so all of what you said sounded to me like dignity, like when we can really work at showing up with dignity for everyone around the table, we'll be, we'll be able to say, can we have this conversation, but not right now. And, and not sound like a jerk when you say it, right? Like just say it with, with love. Okay, so I'm I'm so moved by that. Shantara, I've heard what you're saying from you before and from other people, and I'm left with this feeling like, is there something for me to do? If I love someone who was affected by a tragedy, my inclination is to reach out. So what is the way to reach out and not be in the end, making you feel more comfortable and more responsible for me than for you? Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a fantastic question because 
The only answer I can come up with is is that answer of saying, I'm thinking of you. I saw what happens. It absolutely sucks. I'm thinking of you. Not adding, do I, what can I do? Do I need to do something? Would it, because all that does is put more work on the person of color. Because we feel, I feel obligated to give an answer. So I feel obligated to, well, let me find an article. Let me find their nearest, you know, let me find the form letter that they can send, you know, to their senator. Let me, let me do the work for them. Because if I don't, will they do the work? It reminds me of if you have lost a loved one in your family and yes, people want to stop at the door and not come in, but if they are forced to go in, it's crazy how many times someone tells you about the loss of their loved one and you're now the table has turned and you're going, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, you just came to comfort me, right? So it's that's a little bit of the story that it sounds like we're doing inadvertently, unintentionally, but causing that. I think we sometimes we forget how much being quiet with someone and holding space is really, really profound. And it actually shows a degree of care and of intimacy that I think in this world of so many words and so many visual displays of proof of who we are, that we forget how important it is to just be quiet with someone and be okay with that. And like what Shantara was saying in the beginning, to sit in the discomfort. So there's no expectation of like performance, right? It's just, it is being, it is being quiet with someone and be, it's because that in and of itself shows acknowledgement of the, of, of the, of the truth. From my experience doing this work for a long time, and certainly in the last couple of years, I think that is something that it's so, it's so profound and it seems, in, I guess, in some ways, like it's not like it's like what kind of display of, of action is that? But it's profound and it's profoundly important. And it requires a degree of care of the other person over yourself, I think is really important yeah. that you're willing to do this. And I think that's important in many different ways, in many aspects of life. But I think doing that for somebody, as we've been describing this podcast and Shantara has been talking about it, I just think we sometimes don't value the profoundness of that. And then can I just say on a whole nother sort of much more superficial level? So, you know, Shintara has been talking about how the obligation of the person of color to, you know, find the form, find the this, find that and give it to you because they're worried if you don't do it, you're, you know, you're, the moment is lost, right? Your moment of advocacy and, and allyship is gone. So they feel this sense of obligation to do it, but they're exhausted at the same time. So that is an enormous very high threshold of pain and pressure that we're, that the person of color is experiencing. And they are still feeling the obligation that they have to do this. So we have that on one side. But as Shantara was talking about it, what I was thinking about, and I'm not going to, you know, I won't specifically name someone in my family, but it's really, I think it's probably common in people's family that, you know, and this is on the most uh, on the other side of being sort of superficial. And yet I want us to think about how annoyed we get or how exhausted we get is that we have someone in our family. We're supposed to do something. And three times in a row, the person in our family says, can you give me that information again? And you've got a million things going on. And you're like, can you just please look this up yourself? Like, this is not that hard. This is actually not that hard. And I've got, I'm picking up the kids at carpool. I'm doing the laundry. I've got just this, that, 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 all the lists of things in your mind. But you feel like you have to do this. Now, that is about as low of a bar 
right? Low bar of feeling the, of, of, and we still get annoyed when they do it. So just imagine the feeling of the pain and pressure and all of that for somebody who's in a, who is a person of color, when there has been a tragedy or something that has just broken their heart about an experience in the community. So I just want us to think about it because I think a lot of people might be able to relate to how annoyed we get or how exhausted we are about doing one more thing for a family member and the bars, it's just not even comparable. And yet we're feeling those feelings. I still have a little bit of um, nervousness as to what I will do when there is something next. And what I want to ask you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, is it better to do something than nothing? The mailman example was so good, Sue. So I'm just, I'm just, this, I'm going to say this will be my last time so bringing good. it up, but probably not. But, but understanding the intent behind it, I totally, totally understand. Right. And I understand wanting to not wanting to wanting him to know that his certain that his language was not acceptable, that you were not the one basically to try this with. I understand that. Right. And so I think and at the same time, I'm extra curious as to what he was going to say. Right. And so we've already talked about, you know, what to do the next time you see him. But I think that doing something is great. I think what what we get into um, pickle about is when we see something happening and we say nothing because we don't want to say the wrong thing and we don't want to do the wrong thing. I am much more comfortable with you getting another opportunity with your male person than I am with you accidentally saying something something offensive to me. The male person would not have even had that conversation with me because of the way that I look. He wouldn't go there. But with you, he went there, right? And I think that that is, that, that's when we talk about, when we talk about privilege, when we talk about community, like that is something I won't ever engage. Now, over time, maybe, maybe we formed that relationship because I've had a lot of people, my gosh, who don't look like me, who find things to say to me. And I'm always like, are you looking at me? Do, do, do you see who you're talking to? But there's this comfort <laughs> that comes with, you know, with who I am that they're like, I can say this to you, right? But I'm not racist. No, okay. You, you, you know, so I'm saying doing something <laughs> is great and doing something with the opportunity to do something again is even better. We are so afraid of making mistakes. And we're afraid more of making mistakes with people who don't look like us than we are afraid of making mistakes with people who do. So this is not my Shantara, but I I do love this woman. And um, she told me to stop being such a, shouldn't use the word wuss, but like get a tougher skin, get a thicker skin. Like I I can yell at you for what you just said and you can take Mm -hmm. it. And I was like, oh, I could. I could do that, right? Like, I could say it, get it wrong. You could tell me I got it wrong. you'll be fine. Yeah, because when we get it wrong, it's not... And I'll be fine. You're going to be fine. fine. And, you know, I've got to say for the women, for women out there, like, when 
when we make a mistake, why do we think that it's like a condemnation of our entire selves? Because we're because I'm trying so right. hard. Well, you know I'm trying it's so not, hard, but I can still absolutely. get it wrong. And we need to take the issue seriously, but we do not need to take ourselves so seriously. So, I mean, really, like it's about like it, the other part is when we take ourselves so seriously, then when we when the when the script flips and when we think that we're in the right, we take ourselves real seriously. And that's when we can get real self-righteous and really do some damage to ourselves, to our kids, to other people. Cause we, you know, it's like, we're advocating for our kids. We're advocating for a belief that, you know, we have, that we believe in, but that can justify really bad behavior. So I like from like within ourselves. So, so really, I think it's, it's a lot, it's more than pastime for, and we'll, since you talked about it as being a woman, that yeah, we can get a thicker skin and we will grow from making mistakes. And we don't, and that is, that's what we do as grownups is we actually realize like, oh, I messed up. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to apply it to my life and I'm going to move forward. That is what grownups do, regardless of how old they are. And think about what that does to young people. Young people need to see us saying, oh my gosh, I messed up. My, I'm, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said it this way. And they need to see us making mistakes. They need to hear us owning it. So that way, when they mess up, they won't feel like it's the end of the world. And they won't feel like, because we give them a pass because we're like, oh, they're still developing and we should know better. Yeah, we should. But some stuff is, are, has not been taught to us on purpose. Right. And so once we learn it, we have to say, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. I can't believe I didn't know that. And I'm angry that I didn't know that. And I'm going to make sure that my children now know because I know. Okay. Well, this was so nice of you to feed the last question, which is, well, I'll just tell you in my house, the answer to this question is a resounding yes. Are the teenagers doing better than the parents? And I had the reverse of what you just said, Shantara, where my kids beat me up over getting things wrong. And I was so sensitive and they were like, why can't you just do better? What are you What are you getting so mad about? I mean, that was like adult children during COVID in our house, all of us hating each other. But on top of that was a heightened sense of how to do racial tension better than I knew how to do it. And I, I wasn't good at listening to them at all. So are the kids doing better than we are? I don't know. I would like to say, I would like to think maybe, I think, I, I think that, because of social media, their world is smaller. But I think there is so much garbage on social media that they have access to that I think a lot of young people are also confused about a lot of, they're confused about words. They're confused um, if their influencer, you know, gives a pass for certain things. They consider that, oh, well, this person gave a pass and that person does not speak for the entire community, that person may be anti-black and bless their hearts. You know, I'm from I'm from Texas, so we get to say that, and that means we have cussed you all the way out. But that is that that we don't we, we don't, that's not a pass, right? But I so I think some young people are getting it. They are understanding, and I think the summer of 2020, young people are the ones who let the protest. Young people who were in you know were in the streets for Black Lives Matter, and that was across the world not just in the United States. So I think young people may get it, but I think there are, there are some young people who still are confused because there are people who may look like me who are feeding them garbage and they're feeding them garbage on purpose. And so I think that as adults, we, we still have work to do. 
we still have, we can learn absolutely from young people. I love being a student, you know, but there are some things that I also get to say, yeah, you know, that person is trash. And then we, we get to have a dialogue. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, I agree with Shantara. I think I would say like that, what that person is saying is trash. And I would say like, here's why, and let's have a conversation about it. I think, yeah, so, Okay. <laughs> um, but um, but I think I would engage in a conversation about with the young people if, if they're having I mean, I do this a lot when they're having I, I do this with my younger son in particular, who can, you know, where I have political discussions where we don't necessarily agree sometimes. And I can feel myself get very reactive. And so really being able to frame the conversations in curious questions of what are you reading or what are you seeing that's that's giving you that information and and what what are you what you know what are you thinking about the world because of it i think those are the beginning questions that i ask so i'm always look i mean i think that i have plenty of examples on either side of young people being way ahead of adults on issues of racism and then i also know that there are young people whose parents are doing things that they don't agree with and they are they and they have to be they feel like they have to be silent because they can't go against their parents I know that and I also know there are parents who are using their parents anger at the world to get away with stuff at school I know that also because parents who are really angry at schools about bringing in like um you know, or fighting the anti-racist efforts and books and stuff like that or just really just yelling at the school all the time that those kids know that they that teachers don't really want to deal with them. If they do things that are against the rules, that teachers are going to give them a pass because they just don't want to deal with a screaming parent. And I know kids do that too. So so kids are, you know, just kids are complex. Young people are complex. And then I know, you know, that there, there are children who are at young people that really, really, really disagree with the, everything that Shantara and I have said today. But I guess the thing that I think is so important and my experience, and I'm pretty sure Shantara would agree with me about this, is that it is way easier, way easier to have a thoughtful, mindful, open conversation with young people than it is with adults. That I can say with certainty. Okay, I want to end on a good note. So I want you each to tell me something hopeful. Oh, we've certainly had people, the book has been out for about a month and we've had a lot of people reach out to us or post pictures of them saying, this is making me change the way that I think about my conversations and how I can talk to people in the world. And that just is just enormous, enormous. There's just enormous. Like I had an event on a week ago, that a week ago today, that a woman had a friend of hers who just wrote her this like, you know, one of those 200 word texts of like screed of so much nastiness. And the woman was in tears because this was a, old, a dear, you know, a dear friend of hers from home. And it just happened right before she came to the event. And she felt like she walked out with like real tools to be in that relationship or put boundaries up about that relationship too, appropriate boundaries. That made me feel like we were doing what we're supposed to do. I'm hopeful because it's a new day. And and that I'm, I truly, and this is where my faith comes in. Like I'm hopeful that it, it, it is going to, you know, as Kendrick Lamar <laughs> said, we're going to be all right. I'm hopeful when I, you know, do see pictures on LinkedIn and and testimonials of people who have read the book. And I'm asking curious questions like what was the principle that stuck out to you the most or what was the principle that made the most difference? And hearing people's response is really making me feel like, huh. And I say to Ross in the most humbling way, like, this book is actually good. Like, it's, (laughs) it's really good. So I'm hopeful about that. I'm hopeful that 
that it's going to, that it will continue to make a difference in people's lives. I'm hopeful about that. I'm hopeful that people will continue to read it and will see how they can make a difference in their own lives, in their families, you know, in their work communities, wherever they are, that they can they can make a difference. We can't go everywhere. Um, but I think that this book has really, we've heard from people and it's making a difference. Okay, and tell us the name of the book. Courageous Discomfort, How to Have Important, Brave, Life-Changing Conversations About Race and Racism. Okay, I hope everyone listening gets the book. It, it changed so much for me. I mean, it is, it is really a powerful work and purposeful. And really, I, I just think it's going to change the world. It really will. It's powerful. So thank you. And, and thank you for coming on. It was so hard to schedule this, but you two are well worth the wait. And uh, Shantara McBride, Rosalind Weissman, thank you. I can't wait till our paths cross Thanks, again. Sue. Thank you, Sue. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.